Unpopular opinion, but unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. You're listening to Unpopular Opinion, a podcast for professionals from all walks of life who want to hear success stories from innovators who've won by taking the path less traveled. In each episode, recovering journalist and content marketer Ashley Amber Saba interviews individuals who have prospered thanks to their genuinely unpopular opinions, despite warnings from naysayers, threats to their careers, and colossal obstacles. All rebels are welcome. Hello, and welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Ashley Sava, and this episode is brought to you by my friends at Audience Ops. Audience Ops is a done-for-you content-led growth agency that offers blog posts, content strategy, case studies, and full-service podcast production for professionals looking to launch a podcast like this one. Today, I am joined by my friend, Jessica Winder. Uh, she is the senior VP of people at Refine Labs and the founder slash career coach at Hidden Gem. Jessica, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. I'm so happy to chat with you. I'm very happy to have you on the show. Um, and I'm glad to talk to you about what I think is probably one of the most unique takes out there. You have a perspective that tra- traditional HR should, and I quote, burn baby burn. Can you elaborate <laughs> on that? <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's funny because I am the most like anti HR HR person you'll ever meet. And I truly believe like traditional HR burn it to the ground. Um, It's basically a pseudo legal function. And I'm not a lawyer. I don't want to be a lawyer. I'm married to a lawyer, but I don't want to be a lawyer. So I say that because traditional HR is very much based on like risk aversion and compliance. And that's like not where we should be. We should be focused on employee engagement and culture and initiatives and being, um, when I think of HR and people ops, I truly think of innovation. And that's not what most people think of. When you think of HR, you ask people about HR, they think of like the wicked witch of the West. And it's because that's the connotation that people have about HR. So yeah, burn traditional HR to the ground. I love that. Um, can you kind of catch me up on your work history and kind of how that ties in with your unpopular take? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been in talent recruitment, people ops for about 13 years now. Um, I'm like, oh, we've been saying that out loud. I feel like ages me, but whatever. Um, but yeah, 13 years I've been doing this. I actually started as a recruiter in oil and gas and worked my way up. Um, my passion, I would definitely say is culture and people engagement. Um, I got a lot of experiences as another fun fact. At one point I lived in Chicago and I worked for a crime scene cleanup company as their first director. So um, I've been all over the place. So I've worked in finance and telehealth and, um, you know, cleaning up crime scenes all in the HR standpoint. Um, But my bread and butter is being the first person in an HR role. So this is my third, I work at Refine Labs right now, but this is my third role where I was the first HR director or VP that they hired. And that comes with like the unknown. And I love the unknown. You get to create from scratch. You don't have to quote unquote create like correct what somebody else has done. You get to come in and be creative and decide what do you want the culture to be and start from scratch. So That is, I would say my, if I had a superpower, my superpower is creating people ops and culture from the beginning. So from the start. Um, And prior to this, I also have worked at large companies. So I used to work at GM and I loved my time there, but I was one of like 
200 HR people. And so I only stayed there for about a year and a half because to be honest, I got bored. It was very like, I stayed in my little box and I did certain things and I didn't feel like I could be creative. Whereas at a startup, early stage company, you know, you could do basically whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) You have a colorful background though, too. You've done everything. Oh yeah, I have like, you name it. I I have done it. Can you uh, give me an example of any kind of pushback that maybe you've got when you've tried to kind of take over the traditional aspects and evolve them into um, things that are better for the people? Oh, absolutely. I've gotten a lot of pushback specifically from, I think the pushback comes from misunderstanding. So a lot of times I would have leaders say like, oh no, you're supposed to be, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be doing this because that's what they have always known HR to be. So anytime I interview, I always ask people, tell me about your experience with HR. Cause then that gives me someone's perspective. Like, what do you think I'm supposed to be doing here? Um, and then I can lean into like, actually, I want to do training and development. Actually, I want to like write a culture playbook, like giving them ideas outside of the box. So most of the pushback just really comes from ignorance on like, they don't know what you can do. So they just expect you to do what they think HR has always done. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I bet. I can imagine that would be a big factor in it. And a lot of the times people are kind of afraid when they don't understand anything to even give it a go. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a moment in time when you think that like the ideology of like, we just need to take it all over and fix it, like clicked for you when you knew that things needed to change in people ops? Absolutely. So I think it definitely clicked. I took a job after I worked at GM for a telehealth company. And at the time, I think I was like employee number 20. So they literally only had 19 other people, but they were growing leaps and bounds. And that is when I really had was given the leeway to say, what is it you want to do? Like, that was the conversation. Like, Jessica, what are your ideas? What do you want to do? And I remember thinking back on my time at GM and I learned a lot of valuable lessons. I learned the importance of training and development, like employee relations. And so I took that, those nuggets and said, I want to do this, but I want to do it in a different way. So at that company was the first time I actually ever wrote a culture playbook. So I basically said, trash the employee handbook. It's a legal document. We don't need that. That really doesn't help. People look at it their first day. They never look at it again. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. (laughs) I'm like, I want a playbook that says, this is what the culture is like here. We can use it for recruitment. We can use it for engagement. And it helps people truly understand what they're getting into. Because no one hates like more than like the bait and switch. Like you, you think you are interviewing for a company, you get there and it's nothing like you expected. Why do that? Why not tell people what it's really like to work there? And then they decide that's what they want. So if it's the whole, the hustle culture, which I don't agree with, but if it's, you know, you must be working all these hours, tell people that though. That way they can choose instead of getting them there and baiting and switching. So that was the pivotal point where I, where I knew like, oh, we could do things differently. Whereas in a bigger company, I remember at GM, I had, uh, I wanted to change something in the handbook. So, and it was literally one sentence. It took over six months to change one sentence. No way. Because there was so much red tape and I had to talk to this department and the legal department and the compliance department. And it was, that was actually at the moment that I knew I needed to leave and go to a startup. Oh yeah. I hate that. I mean, even in content marketing, there'll be times when we do um, a case study with a client that we've had for a long time, but the client has tape that needs to be cut through that goes that many levels deep. Oh, yeah. I've had a, I've had a case study on hold for five months one time because of one quote that they didn't know whether or not it should be in there or not. 
And it was like, at one point I was like, just take the quote out. Like, yeah, let me push, like let me publish actually, it. Like, we don't even need that. So the red tape part of it made me realize I wanted to be in an early stage company. And I've looked over the, um, in, uh, the handbook, the playbook, I'm sorry, yeah. the culture playbook that you guys have now. And I, you know, one of the things I love the most about it is that you've actually talked to interviewed, have actual quotes from employees in it. Um, it isn't just developed by the people ops team. It's like contributions are made. How did you decide to come up with that? Yeah. One of the things that was really important to me when I started at Refine Labs is I did like a listening tour. So at the time we, I was employee like number 40 something. So I went and talked to all 40 employees and asked them not only what is the culture right now, what do we want it to be? Because a lot of times when we talk about culture, we have this idealistic, it's going to be rainbows and everybody's going to love each other. <laughs> Bullshit. That's not real. So what is it? What's really happening? And then what do we want to happen in the future? So we did, I did those listening tours. I also then did where we had like small group chats to ask people questions. Like, what is the culture? How do you think it could evolve? And then we did one-on-one -on -one interviews and not just with the leadership team. I want to point that out because a lot of times when you see handbooks, the quotes are all from leadership. Mm -hmm. I've it because the leadership team and the employees normally have very different cultures because if you're a leader there you have authority you have power you can make changes employees that's not normally the case so there's normally two different cultures so that's why in the playbook I wanted to point out that like being an employee on a certain team you're gonna have a certain experience versus if you were a leader on a different team and I want that to be very clear I love that you did that though. I feel like um, nobody is doing that that I know of. Um, and I haven't seen a playbook or, or a handbook or whatever you want to call it by any company that is as well done as the one that you guys have there. Thank you. Oh, and I wrote kudos. it on too. So I have a whole I love that. thing called Hell No, because I'm from Texas and I say Hell No all the time. So I'm like, if you're going to do these behaviors, Hell No, you're going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Anybody who, um, is there a good way to find that? I feel like people might want to check it out that are tuning into the podcast. Absolutely. You can go to my LinkedIn profile and I have it um, linked at in the feature section. So you can find the employee uh, culture playbook. And yeah, it's it's a funny document. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love how much personality it had, which makes uh, like a lot of sense because it came from you. Um, can you kind of <laughs> tell me uh, the advantages of kind of cutting out the BS and just actually treating people like adult professionals? Yeah, one of the things that I feel like is so disrespectful in the world of work is treating adults like children. So telling people you must log in at this time, I'm going to be monitoring you. You need to check in with me. Like the whole mindset of being micromanaged is childlike. It's I worked at a daycare when I was in college. And that is what it reminds me of. I worked in a two-year-old class. And if anybody knows with two-year-olds, you have to be very specific you have to monitor. And that is exactly how it feels for most adults when they work in an environment that does not trust them. It is not built on trust. It's been, it's built on control. So flip that to a company where you are trusted to be an adult. You're trusted to do your job. It doesn't matter what time you do your job, as long as tasks are done, that's trusting you, treating you like an adult. So my mindset is like, why do we have to have this childlike mentality? And it's normally just because someone wants control over someone else. And I don't want that. So I personally don't want control. So for example, my um, talent advisor and my people ops manager, I don't know what time they work. I, I just know that shit's getting done. Okay. That's what I know to be true. So when they're working, I don't care. When they take a nap in the middle of the day, I don't care. They take their dog for a walk. I do not care. <laughs>
that is, that is different too. And I know that you've even talked online about the fact that you'll tell people when you're doing things that are not like mm. office tests, which I think is um, kind of important from a leadership perspective, because you don't want to do, maybe you don't want to take a, a nap, even if you need one for 20 minutes, because you've never heard like an executive level oh, yeah. individual doing it, or you don't think that you should be able to do it or talk about it or anything like that. Speaking about it makes a big difference. I have actually joined meetings and been like, oh, I just woke up from a nap. And I do, and I, <laughs> like, I literally have a couch in my office and like, I'll in between meetings, I have 20, 30 minutes, I will lay down, like I need a break. And I will say that when I join meetings, because I want people to feel like it's okay. As long as your work is getting done, what you need to do to get through in the day, whether that's take a nap, go meditate, go for a walk. It's none of my business. Do you have any mentors that you um, get? people ops information or advice from at this point, or are you a mentor for anybody? Oh yeah. I um, have had mentors throughout my career. I have two people that I consider to be mentors right now. And when I think about mentors, I think of someone that's at a higher level or somewhere I want to be. So my two current mentors are both chief people officers because that is where I see myself in the future. So they're already there. They're kind of like grooming me to be a chief people officer. And then on the flip side, I have been mentoring um, my like senior HR ops person because she wants to eventually be a VP of people. So it's kind of a perfect segue, but I, I think it's so important to have a mentor and to be mentored because both things will help you as you grow. And I've learned so much from being a mentor of like, you know, teaching someone to do something that I know how to do instinctively, or even just teaching someone to be curious. Like I am infamous for asking why questions. So if you tell me anything, I'm always going to ask why. Even if I know the answer, I want to understand why you think this is the right answer, even if I know it's right. So getting to the bottom of why, and then when my mentor does it to me, it makes me think about like, yeah, why did I say that? Why do I think this? And so it solidifies, you know, the way that you think. What annoys you the most about things going on in like traditional HR? <laughs> I feel like this will be a fun topic for you. <laughs> you know, I love to talk about the things that I do not like. Um, oh, I think one of the things that is becoming apparent to me after everything that happened in 2020, the pendulum is swinging back. So the pendulum swung to, you know, every company wanted a chief diversity officer. Everyone was going to be a D and I champion. They're going to write all these policies. And now the pendulum is going back to a lot of layoffs have impacted chief diversity officers or the people team in general. So less staff, less, less people looking at diversity and inclusion, uh, which has resulted in like the policies that people put in place are actually not being held up. So that's one thing that I have been looking into and doing a lot of research on because I think it's important. If you say that you believe in diversity and inclusion and belonging, where is the action? So don't just give me, I don't care about the statements that you put out. I want to see numbers. That's why I encourage people when they look at jobs, go find the LinkedIn, go find people that are diverse, reach out to them and ask them about their experience. Yeah. I, I feel like going down and finding people to actually talk to and getting down to the bottom of it is probably how you get the most accurate information. Absolutely. I know that I've been tasked as a marketer to putting up baloney DEI things on a webpage that didn't have any meaning really, yeah. which is why I've left a lot of jobs for that too. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I have to say, I am still on two different companies on their websites because I was the only person of color that they had. So to God this damn. day, <laughs> companies. I am on their website still, which I find funny. And sometimes I just go look at it for laughs, but I'm still on their website because they don't have enough people of color. 
<laughs> tokenism to the next level. Yes, like exactly. you're not even there. <laughs> I don't even work here anymore. um let's let's pretend that there are other people kind of like you which i'm sure there are out there that um want to push through like a more modern um people ops approach like what kind of things can they do tactically to get other people in their company on board and what kind of tips would you give them to make that actually happen my number one tip is research so i am a avid researcher whether that's books, whether that's podcasts, like make sure you're understanding what other companies are doing so that either you can use it as a, Hey, this company did this and it didn't work, or you can use it as this company did this. And this is why we should do something similar. So even failure is a, is a place to learn like it, but you see another company that did something and they failed. How could you have done it differently and present it? And then you also need to have advocates. So One of my biggest advocates at Refine Labs is my COO, Megan. So I can go to her and I know that she will advocate for my ideas. So you need to have someone else in your corner. It can be someone in the C-suite. It could be someone at our same level, but someone needs to also be open to what you're doing in people ops, because if not, you're going to feel like you're on an island. You're going to feel like no one's listening. You're, you know, you're yelling into a void. So you need someone that is willing to advocate with you. There is safety in numbers. And that is true when it comes to presenting ideas. Okay. Now for the fun part, I want you to kind of think back to things that are being talked about in LinkedIn and debunk a quote unquote unpopular opinion. Yeah. So, uh, and we both know that I love a good LinkedIn fight. So (laughs) (laughs) Hey, keyboard warriors out there. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm one of those people that like when the trolls come for me, I come right back at them. Okay. I'm not above it. Maybe one of my new year's resolutions was to be like, like to let shit go more, but I'm still not there. Okay. So, um, I think one of the things when I think about HR that needs to be debunked is around like being a micromanager. When I personally know HR people that are the queens and kings of micromanaging. And so that shows up in the way that they expect other leaders to behave. So I want to debunk that you are not supposed to be a micromanager just because you're in HR. That is actually not your job. You are not supposed to be telling other leaders how to lead their teams in a very negative way. So for example, I saw a recent news clip where the HR leader was the one getting IT to monitor people's keystrokes. Bullshit. No way. Why would you do that? (laughs) Why is that your job to monitor when people are logged in and when they are not? Um, And this is why HR has a bad name. (laughs) Like This is why people don't like us. Wow. Imagine like just even if you are doing nothing that you shouldn't be doing, just like the fact that you have people like over your shoulder all of the time. Yeah. Like I wouldn't want to be in a company that did that anyway. No. So it just it feeds into this narrative, like I said, of control. You want to know keystrokes because you want to control people, not because you actually trust them. I like that. That's a very good point. Um, I want to point out that people should definitely check out the podcast that you have with Megan. Um, I absolutely love it. I have tuned into every episode of it, usually (laughs) on the day they come out. Like it's number one on my Spotify. Um, It's called Talent Destination. If anybody um, tuning into my podcast is looking for it, they have it on Apple. They have it on Spotify. Um, Definitely follow um, Jessica online if you're not already. Um, I keep wanting to call you Jessica Williams. It's Jessica <laughs> Winder now. She's gotten married. I know. It's all good. I still say that my name is Jessica Williams all the time and my husband hates it, but yes. <laughs> 
it's a W too. Like they're both yeah. W. <laughs> I didn't change my initials. So it's still JDW, but yeah, I would love to connect on LinkedIn. That's normally where I spend most of my time. I'm on LinkedIn all day, every day. Um, and I'm always open to new connections. Do you have anywhere else that people can go um, to find you other than LinkedIn or is that the only location that you think people should attempt? Um, no. Also, I have my own website. So hiddengymscareercoaching.com, which is where I do all of my career coaching. So that is a way that you can also get in contact with me. And then also I am on Instagram at hiddengymcc. So hiddengymcc, which stands for Hidden Gym Career Coaching, um, is where I'm on Instagram as well. Wow. Well, thank you for um, adding that in too. And um, I'm sure people will be happy to go on there and check all that out. I appreciate you coming on the show today. I hope to have you back on again. Absolutely. I would love to come back. I, you know, I love to talk. <laughs> I love talking to you. <laughs> You've become one of my um, favorite follows too on LinkedIn over time. And I've loved like our little LinkedIn chats that we have on the side. So I'm, I'm thankful to have you in my life. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Unpopular Opinion. This episode was produced by Audience Ops, a content-led growth agency. If you're looking for help launching a podcast, Audience Ops handles all the legwork so you can focus on providing the subject matter expertise. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow Ashley's show on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube.